Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. So we've spent the last 10 weeks, this being the 11th week, in a study in First Peter. And we've called it Standing Firm. And I told you at the very beginning of this thing that First Peter is divided into three sections. And all of them are declaring the need for us to stand strong in who we are. And the first third declares uh, from chapter 1, verse 1, until uh, chapter 2, verse 10, declares that we are to stand firm because we have a great salvation. Because of what Christ has done for us, we are to stand firm, stand strong, knowing that we are resident aliens. We're going to talk about that a little bit again tonight. But we aren't meant for this world. And so because of that, we need to stand strong to make sure at the end of it that we're everything that we should be and have communicated to others what we should communicate as not only heirs of the promise, but those that were responsible to communicate the promise. And so the first part through 2.10 is stand firm because of your great salvation. Pastor Rick finished that section last week. Uh, he did a great job. I hope you were here for that. In verse 10, and we're going to pick up this week in the second part of this three-part message that Peter has given to the church from that starts in 2.11 through 4.6. Now, we're not going to study all that today, of course. Uh, it took us 10 lessons to get through the first third. I guess it would probably take about that to get through the second third. But I'm in no hurry. I hope you're not in any hurry to rush through the Word. I've, I've really enjoyed this study. And so today we're going to talk specifically moving into the second section on two verses. And it's 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Pastor Rick finished with verse 10 which says, For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received... You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So there was an expectation that because of what Christ Jesus did for us, showed us mercy, that we should be people that deliver mercy. And that's the message that Pastor Rick ended on last week. And then we're going to study verse 11 and 12, which reads like this. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. This is the second time, because it's the second part of this message, that we've heard of that verbiage. In verse 1, chapter 1, he says to those who reside as aliens. And so he wants to go back to where he started to start this new segment of his letter. He says, So, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And that is a mouth full. It's saying, listen, you need to be a living example. You weren't created for this world, so stop living like you're in this world. People are going to listen to you less than they watch you. It's the reason why the bumper sticker, I love God, but I don't like his people, exists. Because we've done a horrible job being who we're supposed to be while talking about being who we're supposed to be. And we've, we've cast a shadow, not only on us, but on the God that we serve. Because when people hear us declare ourselves as Christians, and then we don't act like Christians, 
they assume that that's the God that we serve, and so we reflect Him poorly, which causes them to shrink back instead of draw forward to God. We are responsible for our witness. And that's the primary message that he gives in these two verses. And it's the message that I want to talk about. Before we stand strong as, as a witness, we have to recognize that we have to be a good witness. How many times have we declared, and this, <coughs> when I typed this out, it broke me because I've done it countless numbers of times. I'd hesitate to say how many. But how many times have we declared Christ and then nullified our confession by something we said or did? More specifically, something that we did. You guys have heard the story, or most of you have, about the young man that I essentially assaulted the kid at the police academy. I, had, I was at the cafeteria. For those of you who hadn't heard this story, I think it's important. The day after I got saved, where I gave my life to the Lord, I was sitting in the cafeteria at the at the police academy, and I just telling my friends because I was excited that I'd give my life to the Lord. Like I, I know Angela and I say this a lot, but I went from literally walking into a church not caring about the fact that there was ever a Christ existing to not imagining my life without serving Him. Now that just doesn't mean I haven't failed and I haven't slipped and haven't done those things, but God immediately instilled a passion in me that was almost overwhelming. I guess. Um, to the degree that we would we would read the Bible and look and be all, oh, well, we can't do that anymore. So we'd stop doing that. And we haven't always gotten it right, but there was a passion in us. And I wanted to share that passion with my friends. You guys remember the day after you got saved? You want to tell everybody about it? I hope you do. And so I tell everybody about it. I'm talking to my group of instructor friends at the police academy, and they're all looking at me like I got three heads. Not all of them, most of them. And... I go back to my office. As I'm walking to my office, there's a rule at the police academy, or was then. I don't know if it still exists because it's a softer, gentler world we live in. But there was a rule that you weren't supposed to be within six feet of an academy instructor. And so if you were, you had to do push-ups. And it was for to teach them personal safety distances. With You can maintain six feet. You have some reactionary time, blah, 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 whatever. So if they got within that six feet, we made them do push-ups or whatever. So I'm going back to my office, I make this corner, and this kid that's late for class, or thinks he's going to be late for class, comes around the corner and bumps into my, like hits me in the chest, didn't just violate my six feet space, but assaulted me. That's how I, that's how I articulated it anyway. <laughs> and I got the kid, and I grabbed him, and I swept him a little bit. I swept a lot. I swept the kid, and I knocked him to the ground, and got on top of him, and I was just all, You've lost your mind and blah, 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 blah. It said a bunch of other very non-Christian things. So I said a lot of the stuff that I would have said the Friday before I got saved, the Monday after I got saved to this kid. And he's freaking out. You haven't lived until you've watched a grown man cry. Certainly you haven't lived until you've made one a grown man cry. But this kid was very emotional. And so finally, I did, after I got done with him, he had a rough day. I sent him to class. I go to my office. And this student walks in, or he doesn't walk in, he knocks on my office door, asks permission to come in. I gave it to him. He comes to his position of attention in my front of my desk, and he said, um, Mr. Cubic, can I talk to you for a second? I said, yeah. He said, I heard in the chow hall that you gave your life to Jesus yesterday. 
And I said, yeah, man, it's awesome. Are you a believer? You know, I thought I was about to, I thought he was going to say congratulations or something. And he looks at me, he goes, and then I saw you leave there and do what you did to that kid. Is that how Jesus would want you to act or something along those lines? And it broke me. Because I realized it didn't matter what I told my friends. It didn't matter the declaration I made. What mattered is the way that I acted. And I acted in a way that was contrary. And so maybe, just maybe, perhaps, and praise God for grace, somebody saw me declare both and wondered if the God I serve is worth serving. And that's, I've told that story probably ten times since I've been here. I'll probably tell it several more times. But it's a very pointed story. We have to be who we tell people we are. Charles Spurgeon put it like this, and it's about the best way I've heard it put. A man's life is always more forcible than his speech. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers will accept his practice and reject his preaching. So it doesn't matter what you say. There's an old, and I don't know if it was a quote or a proverb or whatever that says a, a lighthouse doesn't blow a horn simply shines a light and that's what we're called to do we're not called to be just horn blowers now there's there's times when horns are needed to be blown but our horn doesn't matter if our light isn't shining correctly and so we have to I almost don't have the words for to say that we have to assume the responsibility that God has given us to be the right living example that he's called us to be. And that's what Peter's saying in, this, in these two verses. And I'm going to read them again. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, Glorify God in the day of visitation. The day of visitation is another way of saying so that they may, so that they may be ready or that they may glorify God when Jesus comes back for all of us. That's a heavy burden to bear that my behavior might nullify some of the glory that God's receiving from a life that would otherwise serve him had they not seen the example that I set. I'm talking to you, Christians both online and in this room, we, we say we're a thing, and then we don't act like a thing and wonder why the world's gone to hell. What, what would it look like? I put this on Facebook earlier, and I intended to not say it here, but what would the world look like if we didn't abdicate our responsibility on the city square? What if we demanded integrity from those that lead us because we were and were able to because we were people ourselves of integrity? What if we did and acted the way that the scripture tells us to act? And we had always done so. If we had done those things, would we care or be worried about the election? No, because if they, we demanded righteousness from our leaders, then every candidate would be righteous or they wouldn't be considered a candidate. 
But certainly that's not the case now because of our witness and our willingness to submit our witness to culture. Messes me up. Because then I have to say, I can't say Trump is a maniac or Biden is whatever. <laughs> whatever. I can't say Trump is this or Trump is that. Because instead I'd have to say, wouldn't matter who either of those are if I was the man that I'm supposed to be. Because neither one of those would be in a political arena to make a decision on my behalf anyway. Hmm. I think I got off subject, but I think it's very important. We expect the people around us to act better than we act. When we're the ones that that allow them to be in a place to act a particular way, we can do better. Amen? So we're called to live separated. Back to this text. We're called to live separated, which means literally this world is not our home. We don't belong here. We shouldn't be integrated into the society that we live in. When I went to Israel in 2017... I, did, I enjoyed Israel. I loved Israel. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get there. Had a great time while I was there. But guess what? I couldn't wait to get home. The last picture I sent from Israel, I sent a bunch of pictures to my wife. And she'll tell you, she said the best one that she got and the best one that I sent was the picture the night before we left of my suitcase packed. Because as much as I enjoyed the culture, as much as I enjoyed the language, as much as I enjoyed the archaeology, all the landscape, all that stuff, you know what I enjoyed more? I enjoyed home more. And so he's what he's telling us. He says we have to live separated. We have to seclude ourselves from the world that we live in. Now we have to live in this world, but that doesn't mean we have to learn the culture. It doesn't mean we have to learn the language. But sadly, that's what so many of us have determined to do. We've decided to learn the culture, be part, and, and then buy property there. which causes us then to, call, to, to desire to grow our home here instead of grow our home there. I didn't invest in anything while I was there. I bought a couple of gifts and came back, but I didn't invest in anything while I was in Israel because I knew that it wouldn't last. We try to live in a world unseparated, thinking that the world that we live in is the only world, or living as though it's the only world we're ever going to live in. 10,000 years from now, the world that we live in right now is going to be a very, maybe if there's a memory at all, a very vague memory. 10,000 years ago, imagine, or from now, imagine a million years from now, 10 million years from now, I can't fathom such a thing, but I'm setting up roots in a place that I'm just passing through. And Peter tells us, don't do that. You're not called to do that. You're not part called to be of this world even though you live in it. Separate yourself. You're an alien and a stranger to the land that you live in. And yet so many of us aren't. <coughs> I, 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 I thought about changing the verbiage in several of these messages because I know a lot of them are pretty harsh. We need to do better. So many of us need to live differently. 
But then I realized I couldn't because I'm not communicating to someone that isn't the church because I'm communicating a letter that was to the church. Paul was, or Peter was telling people in the church house, people that were visiting the church, that were singing the hymns, that were doing the stuff, that were reaching the poor, that were taking care of one another and the widows and those in prison and all the stuff that's required of a Christian. He was telling those people, look, all your stuff is cool, but all your stuff is temporary. Stop attaching yourself to it. And we're making cold weather packs, and we're going to the homeless shelter, and we're going to the food pantry, and we do all this stuff. But you know what? At the end of the day, if they're not given Jesus, which they're not going to receive unless we give them the example, none of that stuff's going to matter. We have to be the example, to love them well. So, yeah, I'm using the word we a lot because Peter was talking to the church which in itself should cause us some, some level of sadness, that we should have to be reminded of such things so often. If I asked you if you were blessed, and you didn't raise your hand, and you live in the United States, you're, you're either a liar or a fool. Because I've seen poor, I've seen desperate, and we ain't it. I've seen persecuted, we ain't it. not sure why I said that. Maybe somebody else needed that. But we need to focus on who God has called us to be and be that person all the time to separate ourselves from the world. We aren't supposed to be conforming to this world. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? This is a beautiful passage. Don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can I? I want to read something to you out of Ephesians. I use this text in every wedding that I do. I use more of it than what I'm about to read you. Let's see if I can find it here. Verse 27, chapter 5. That he may present to himself, it says essentially that husbands are supposed to act like Christ to their wives which means that they're supposed to be the Christ relationship to the church should mirror the husband relationship to the wife. And then so in verse 27, he says that he may present to himself the church in all her glory. Of course, our wives in this situation being the church. In all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. 26 is the verse I was looking for. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So how do we go from conformed to transformed, the renewing of our minds? The word of God. The same way a husband ensures that his wife is blameless before the Lord. By washing her pure with the word. You want a pure mind? Let me tell you, the word of God can't exist. In, your, in the same headspace that your sin exists in. You're all, I don't know, I got a lot of verses memorized. I still sin. Why don't you do yourself a favor and learn those verses, memorize them, and then the next time you try to sin, start repeating them to yourself. Because those two things won't exist in the same headspace. You want to be clean of something? Wash your mind with the water of the word. 
because I want to be, I want to be transformed, not conformed. We've been called to be something greater. We don't conform because ours is a different home, a different country. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've made this point, but I haven't given you the verses. Colossians 12, 1, 12, and 13 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transformed us, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Because we aren't of this world, but transformed to his kingdom. I know I've made one point a lot. And I'm not done yet. But it's the most precious point I can make. It's the most important point I can make today. Stop telling people you're a Christian. If you're not acting like a Christian, you're making the rest of us look bad. And I would say the same thing about myself. I'm not saying that I haven't fallen or that I haven't slipped. Man, I certainly I've done that more times than I can count. I'm not saying that to be proud of it, but it's absolutely true. We have to live as though we're separated because we aren't the same person. We're a new creature according to the word of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Our very nature, who we are has changed. How we think, how we act, the stuff that we do should all have changed. Because you're not the same creature. You've had a blood transfusion that has caused your DNA to change. And I want us to start or continue, I don't want to say that you're not, but continue to live out our witness. Not just talk about it. Amen? This transformation, I talk about this transformation a lot. And, and I guess this is where grace comes in. I struggle with grace. I'm a, I, 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 much less than I used to, but I'm a very, ugh, let me pin some grace on it. But, but here's the grace. Peter says these lusts, these lusts, these things that, we, that we're dealing with, these things that we desire greater than obedience, are waging war against us. I watched a movie the other night. It was, it's a good movie. Uh, it's called The Free State of Jones. Has anybody seen it? Free State of Jones, it's a Civil War movie. Talks about a, a guy, Civil War, a Southern fighter that, that left the South and started on his own militia that ended up fighting for the North, blah, 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 whatever. But in the, in the battlefield scenes, the way they fought back then is just ridiculous to me. You line up, you march across an open field until you get him within range, and then you shoot the guy standing there, and then you hope that you have enough lines of men to get to the end before they do. I don't, I don't understand that. But that's... That's the fight that rages in us. This fight against the flesh, this war waging against us, is, as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, because you could see it 
you'd see they'd start to take a piece of a field and the enemy would recognize that they were winning and would shift to a different part of the open field and start matching from that direction. And this is what the enemy does to us. We might be falling here, or we might be gaining victory here. But as we gain victory here, the enemy starts moving here. And then we gain victory here, and the enemy starts moving over here. We're always going to have a point. There's always going to be some time where we're, we're struggling in this fight, but we have to stay in this fight. It's, a, it's an open battlefield fight that we're living in, but praise God, we have a, a general, for a lack of a better way to put it, that has already won this victory. We just have to know that our job is to push forward. Lose this fight, win that one, and then win that one. Lose the next one, win the next one, and then win the next one. Why do I tell you this? Because the transformation of your mind isn't going to happen for you like it I about to say like it happens for some, but I don't know anybody that it happens like that for, where you wake up one day and you're sinless. You're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to struggle for it. The, the, the flesh wages war against you. You guys ever wage war against your flesh and knew that you were fighting? It's okay. Just keep fighting. Don't give up. Know that God is directing this battlefield. He's already won it. All you have to do is keep fighting. Just because you lost this battle doesn't mean you're going to lose the next one or the next one or the next one. And just because you lose the fifth one doesn't mean you're going to lose the sixth, seventh, eighth, or ninth one. But our job is to keep fighting and strengthening ourselves, which we do in prayer and submission to the Lord. I feel like I'm overdoing the analogy, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. Fight the fight, because it's worth fighting. None of us are perfect. I, could, I don't know that I could count on both hands. My pastor says we're too transparent. But I don't know if I could count on both hands the number of times or the number, number of battles I've lost this week. whether I say something I shouldn't have said or did something I shouldn't have did or fussed at somebody I shouldn't have fussed at, didn't show grace where I should have shown grace, was angry or bitter when I shouldn't have been angry and bitter, I can tell you there's, you ain't the only one. But you know what I do know? That this battle is won already. That this fight has been won already. And so I keep pushing and I keep struggling, recognizing that I'm not going to be like Jesus until I see Jesus. But my job is to imitate him, as, Peter, as, Peter, as Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. My job is to push forward to recognize that, that he is the goal. And that if I will continue to walk the way I'm supposed to walk, crucify the flesh, Wage war against the flesh. Recognize that he's the victor already. That it's a matter of time before my witness outweighs my words. And why do we bother? Why do we care? Because the Bible says in this text, 
keep your excellent keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. Do you guys ever been slandered for something that you had coming? I have. And when I tell people I'm a Christian, they're going to believe me. And they're going to say, that's the guy that you serve. I don't want any of that. Our job is to be the witness we should be, to love them as we should be. You guys ever seen a, a, a puppy that had been abused, whether in real life or in, on TV or something? Like they're, they're trembling, they're shaking. I feel like this is, this is the world to us. They've been beaten. They've been mistreated. They've been left out in the cold. Nobody cared about them. And we try to love them. And as we reach out to them, what does a puppy dog do that's been beaten? Shrinks back. Or snaps. Well, I can't believe he treated me that way. You're not the first Christian he talked to that said he loved him and then didn't. But if we show them love again, and if we show them love again, and if we show them love again by our actions, not necessarily our verbiage, guess what? It's a matter of time before that puppy dog starts. You can see it's starting to relax a little bit. You can see its head down. It starts to come towards you. Well, they won't listen to anything I say. You ain't the first Christian tried to love them. Every time I say something about Jesus, they snap at me or they yell at me. You ain't the first person that ever told them you were a Christian and didn't act like one. Eventually, that puppy dog is going to get to a place where it trusts you. And I'm not, I, I hate to liken people to dogs, but that puppy dog, to stick with the analogy, is going to get to the place where it trusts you enough to move towards you. Accept the love that you have for it so that you can tell it and pour love out on it in a way that is God-honoring. That's what we're hoping for. That's what Peter's saying. Live your own life in such a way that people trust you with the words that you say. I rhymed. You can write that down if you want to. But as it stands right now, sadly, many of them have no reason to trust us. Let's give them a reason. They deserve a reason to trust us if we have Christ living in us. Amen? Amen.